0: Today we're going to continue uh, through our series on the Minor Prophets. And when you preach on the Minor Prophets, one of the things that I don't think you'll ever hear people complain about when they read the Minor Prophets is something that we saw Jonah complain about. And the problem that Jonah was complaining about is that God is too merciful. Because sometimes we read the Minor Prophets and we see the fact that he's calling people out. He's saying, you, there will be destruction, there will be judgment, and things like that, but in reality, the compassion of god the the slow to anger of god nehemiah nine thirty one says nevertheless, in your great mercies, you do not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful god psalm eighty six five for you O Lord, are good and forgiving and bounding and steadfast love psalm eighty six fifteen but you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is the God of the Old Testament. I know there's some people who say, I've even heard it in movies, they say, well, that's Old Testament justice. That's Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, God's just about smiting people. (laughs) Somebody gets out of line, God just smacks them in the head. Okay? But you know, the, the Old Testament was about God's love and compassion. And sometimes we're reading this, we have to realize it's thousands of years and God is being patient with them working with them, and after a while he says, I'm just going to have to give you some discipline, because you're not paying attention. But God is slow to anger, compassionate. And we think back when Pastor Jordan shared about this, the concept of Jonah was so mad because God is too good. He wanted to see those bad guys get what they deserve. Kind of like the end of the movie, when the bad guys get locked up, and you're like, "Mm, that's great. End of the book, oh, thank God they caught the bad guy. But in the book of Jonah, of course, Jonah goes and he talks to the, to the Ninevites and they, they become followers and God relents and doesn't destroy them. And Jonah's like, well, that's not how it's supposed to go. You're not supposed to forgive them. You're supposed to take it to them. And so today, we're going to talk about the book of Micah. And we're going to see in the book of Micah that God, again, is calling his people into a, a concept of saying that you're going to be judged. And the whole concept of Micah comes kind of as a courtroom. In fact, there's a part in uh, Nehemiah, or, uh, Nehemiah, uh, Micah 6 where it says, it kind of shows this courtroom thing. So we're going to kind of go at it as a courtroom. And we need to understand that there's two dangers that we can have. The first danger is, is that God is slow to anger and compassionate, which means we can do whatever we want. And there's a lot of people like this. God's the big guy upstairs. The big guy upstairs doesn't mind what we're doing. We're fine. and Or the hippie Jesus. I wish I had my hippie Jesus up. You know, the, the hippie Jesus where Jesus says, Hey, you're fine. You know, do whatever you want. I'm about love. You know, it's, it's got the 60s things going, you know. It's got the beads on, you know. Everything is like, God's about that. And we kind of think we, God's just going to be good at for, for forgiving. We don't have to worry about him. And that that is true. God is slow to anger and likes to forgive, but God also has standards. But the other extreme can come about where we become legalistic. That God is in heaven, and I think this is the way that I struggled when I grew up, and God was looking for an opportunity to send me to hell. God was just waiting. And on Thursday, I gave him that shot by looking at my sister wrong. And God is now mad at me forever. Okay? You see the danger on both ends? You see the danger where we can become so adamant that God is an evil God. God is just out to get me. And the other one is, man, God just lets us do whatever we want. We get to heaven, he's going to go, it's all right. You know, we're fine. Or we get to heaven, he's like, you know what? June 7th, 2010. You were fine. If that day wouldn't have happened now, get out. Okay, I mean, there's. I think that there is some imagery of of both of that where we can struggle and we become on both ends of that. So let's look at Micah today and see how he sets this up for us. If you look at Micah 1.1, it says, The word of the Lord came to Micah of Morisseth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, king of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Remember now, at this time we have two kingdoms we have Israel, but we have the northern kingdom, which is Samaria, which is their, uh, their capital. We have the southern kingdom, which is Judah, which is Jerusalem as their capital. And so you can tell who he's preaching to because he mentions the, king of Judah, which are the kings of Judah, which are the southern tribes. And so his prophecy is going to be for these kings, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Now, we have kind of a courtroom set up that's ca- happening here. If you look at um, Micah 1, 2, it says, Hear you peoples, all you who pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it, and let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. Now, I don't know how many people have here been at court, but when they bring up a witness, and the wit- witness is God himself, you're in trouble. Okay? Okay, lawyer, can you cross-examine him? Uh, he made heaven and earth, and no. Uh, no, you're done. You're just completely done. So you can see this imagery right here. And what's happening? What, why is this happening? Why is God coming up as a witness? Why is he doing this? Well, what happened in the, in the old ancient Near East was that they had a, a concept called a covenant. And the covenant that, that God made with His people was that He would take care of them, He would give them blessings. It talks about in Deuteronomy, that He would be, um, give them milk and honey which was a great thing at the time, and that his, they would give them increase and he would, he would take care of them. And they were merely to follow him. They were to follow the covenant, the Ten Commandments, things like that. But they were to have their heart towards him. Now in the Old Testament, when you made a covenant, it's not just like making a promise. What they did was they took animals and they ripped them apart. Not cut them apart, ripped them apart. They laid them side by side and you walked through as you made the covenant. You walked through the, the ripped apart animals. Why did you do that? Because you were saying, if I break this covenant, let it be to me as it is to these animals. So God made a covenant with his people. He said, I will be faithful to you. You will be faithful to me. So the word covenant is an ex- kind of an extreme thing. You can see this is a covenant unto death. So God has been very patient with them. In fact, he's been patient with them for over 200 years. And he has given them. There's so many times you read through Kings, and if you read through Chronicles, it says, but for the sake of David, for the sake of my promise to them, I did not destroy them. For the sake of my patience with them, for the sake of this. They would do, they would do all kinds of things. They would go after everything that they could. They were especially into the, the idols of Baal and and Asherah and all of these things that were especially with sexual prostitutes and and they were all into fertility gods and and they would take their own children and and kill them for the sake of other gods. And God was patient with them. But after 200 years, He is calling them and saying, it's time for you to come to judgment. It's time for me to tell you what's going to happen. So the first thing is that it brings up is Micah 1.5 says, All this for your transgressions of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? So he's saying, for your transgressions, you're being called into account. So not like you can say, well, he did it, he did it, she did it, she did it. God is saying, it's time for you to take responsibility about yourself. And... There's going to be punishment for breaking the covenant. Now, the northern kingdom, if you study, if you especially read Kings and Chronicles, you'll see the northern kingdom took sinning to an extreme. They, went, they just said, you know what? Nobody can sin better than we can. It's not a good thing to be good at, but that's who they were. Um, the fact that in Amos it says, go to Bethel and sin, basically he's saying you go to your, your, um, your holiest place and you sin. That's what you do. In fact, you go to church and sin. That's what he's saying. That's how bad they have gotten. And so what happens in Micah 1, 6-7, Micah says this, Therefore I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards, and I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces, all her wages shall be burned with fire, and all her idols I will lay waste. For the fee of the prostitute she gathered them, and through the fee of a prostitute they shall return. So basically he's saying so complete a construct or destruction is going to happen that in the, in the northern kingdom of Samaria, could you imagine Bemidji if it was torn down and became farmland again? Every building is going to be destroyed. He's saying it's going to be such a, a thorough destruction, all they will do is plant things there again because there's no buildings left. Everything will be torn down. He talks about in 7, all of your carved images shall be destroyed. All of your, the wages shall be burned with fire. All of your idols I will lay waste. For the fee of a prostitute she gathered them, and to the fee of a prostitute they shall return. He's talking about the fact that all of your false idols, I will show you what I think of your false idols. And first of all, it's also an affront. One of my favorite stories from Gideon is Gideon when he is called in the book of Judges. He is called to be uh, a deliverer of, of, Israel. And the first thing that he does is he goes and he tears down his dad's altar to Baal. Okay? And he tears it down. And people are really mad. But they're really mad because they think Baal's going to be upset with them. And what does Gideon's dad say? If Baal is such a big shot, let Baal be upset with my son. Let Baal do something. And guess what? Baal didn't do anything. Because he's not real. We, we follow after things that are wrong. So he is saying right here is, you're following after your, your little idols. I'll show you what your idols are good for. In my hands, they are nothing. You follow after them, but they don't, they're not going to do anything for you. So this all happened in the time of Micah. In 722, the Assyrian Empire took over the northern kingdom and destroyed them, killed them, took them captive. In fact, it's such an utter destruction. If you study the Assyrian Empire, just brutal people. They destroy this, the, northern, the northern people. And Micah then goes on into verse 8 and 9. He says, For this I will lament and wail. I will, I will go stripped and naked. I will make lamentation like the jackals and mourning like the ostriches. For her wound is incurable and it has come to Judah and has reached the gate of my people to Jerusalem. So first what he says is, you've seen what happened to your brothers and sisters in Israel. But understand the fact that it has, that, that disease that they had has come to you. Okay? They, it is, the, the disease has now come on you, Jerusalem. You don't think, well, well, our northern, they were really bad, but we're fine down here in the southern kingdom. He is telling them, it's all coming to you. You're acting this way too, and God is calling you into account for it. God is saying, you can't act like this. You can't keep doing this. You can't keep coming after these prostitutes. In fact, Ahaz, one of the kings that he's talking about right here, Ahaz went into the temple, went into the temple of God, put up a, um, um, an altar to a foreign god, and then burned his own son alive as a tribute to this foreign god. And what Micah is saying, you can't keep going after false gods and expect God to be on your side. And I think that that right there, if we just stop right there, there's something that we could grab right there for our own life. You can't keep going on your own way and thinking that you can do it yourself and expecting everything to be okay. Well, God's going to be just fine with everything that I do. I make it up as I go. I know that I follow my own desires and not God's, but God's, you know, the big guy upstairs, and he's always going to help me. There's a time that God says, I have to hold you accountable for this for your own sake and for the sake of my kingdom, you have to be held accountable. And so Ahaz, one of the, probably the worst kings of the southern kingdom, is doing all this. In fact, he shut out all the priests so they couldn't do the sacrifice and made his own sacrifices to false gods. And so this is what is happening. But what I really want to get down to, and I'm saying this all up, and I named this whole sermon a time for repentance, is what does it take to come back to God what does it take now what is God looking for in our lives what does God want us to do and if you look at uh Micah chapter 6 it says hear what the Lord says arise plead your case before the mountains I kind of like this thing so he's got the courtroom again he says arise and plead your case before the mountains you say mountains seriously uh there's a lot of imagery in the Old Testament that would have made sense if we were those people at the time, but he's saying, to, the mountains were the oldest thing that they could think of. He says, "They've seen everything. Tell them your great story, and the, pl- plead your case and let the hills hear your voice. Hear you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and you endearing foundation of the earth, for the Lord has indictment against His people, and He will contend with Israel. God is stepping up, and he is saying, "Here's what you are doing." And one thing about God, he is very clear what is right and wrong. Okay? I think that's something that we need to understand a little bit better in our culture. Because what I'll talk to people, and I have to watch myself about this. Have you ever talked to somebody about faith and about what is right and wrong? You say, well, this is what I see the Bible saying. Well, I think the Bible says this. And that's, I mean, if we don't completely understand, we can say this is the best we understand. But the Bible is clear what is right and wrong. We're the ones who mess it up. We're the ones who come up with our own ways. Why? Because we want to follow our own desires. We're no better than the Israelites. You say, well, I would never burn my kid in the fire. Okay. But do we, tr- do we as a culture treat our children well? Are we there for them? Are we doing what's right for them? Our, I would never go after a temple prostitute. Um, how faithful are we in our relationships? I would never do this. I would never go after a false god. There's all kinds of false gods out there. Okay, you don't have to be worshipping, you know, god of you don't have to be worshipping Thor or some other idol to be worshipping a false god. And I think we need to be called on this and know the fact that God is going to contend with us because of this. And I also think that God is very clear in this thing. It's funny. God's about to give an indictment on his people. What is the first thing that he does? He asked this question in verse 3. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? In other words, he asked kind of a loaded question. He says, what have I done to you, and how have I wearied you? Let me tell you what I've done for you. And you tell me if these sound like really mean things. Because I think, again, we come back to this concept. God, and I grew up with this feeling, as a teenager especially, God is the God of no fun. I don't know if you've ever, I mean, I've struggled with that. When I was a kid, I now have completely gotten over that and said God is the God of making everything great. Okay? But I remember all my friends are out there partying and having fun, and I'm the good Christian kid who has to sit here and do nothing. (laughs) And that was the image that was also told to people, is that all the fun is out there. All the good times are out there all the stuff and you're missing out but thank god we're going to heaven we're going to be miserable our whole lives here and everybody else is gonna have a good time but we get to go to heaven you know god doesn't want us to do all this stuff because he's mean i mean isn't that basically the lie that the serpent told adam and eve god doesn't want you to have the good stuff he wants to hold it back from you you go do you know what you do your thing You go off to college, yeah, you were raised in the church, but now it's your time to have some good times. It's time to let loose. You know, hey, you you know, this is, and this is the same lie of the enemy. But here's what God says. He said, answer me. I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Okay, let's just kind of go through this story. You're in captivity to the mightiest empire in the world. I completely humiliated them for you with ten plagues. Then, when they chased you down, I took the Red Sea, parted it in front of you, let you through it, and then drowned the m- greatest army in the world. Is that a burden to you? You see a little sarcasm. I kind of like, it's God's like, did I weary you with that? Was that mean? I mean, think of this all the things I did for you. And then he says, O oh, my people, remember what Balaam, king of Moab, devised and what Balaam the son of Boar answered him. Okay? So what he's trying to say here is remember when Balaam came up and he tried, um, the son of Boar answered him? Remember when he tried to have the, the prophet prophesy against him and his own donkey had to turn around and say, Stop doing that? Was I worrying you? Was I wearying you? when I saved you from a curse? And so he's kind of really calling him here and saying, you know, and that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. How about the manna in the desert? How about the fire in front of you? How about the healings that you received? How about all the great miracles? How about when you went up to the walls of Jericho? He could just keep going. The greatest walls in the world. Look it up in a history book. The greatest walls of the ancient world. And God said, eh, done. Just march around and blow a trumpet. I'll just knock him down. Okay? Am I wearying you? I just love that. What have I done to you that you've done this to me? Think of all the things that I've done for you. I've healed you. healed your land. I've done all this for you. And he says, now how did you respond to me? Now this kind of goes back a little bit. It says, Micah, you had unethical prophets. Micah 3.5 says, thus says the Lord concerning the prophets, who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. Micah two eleven says, If a man should go about and utter wind and lies, saying, I will preach to you of wine and strong drink, he should be the preacher for the people. Here's what happened. You want preaching and again, this is something we can be called into question for. We the preacher that will that you pay him enough money, he'll tell you what you want to hear. You find the preacher, hey, this is America today. You don't like what the pastor's preaching? Go find another one that preaches the way you like. Go find one that preaches something that, that's really good for your ears. That kind of doesn't make you have to be uncomfortable at church. And he's saying, this is what happened. He says, now, I'm down on the prophets, but you know why the people were prophesying this way? Because people were paying them to do it. They would go up and say, oh, thank you, pastor, for preaching that sermon about how I don't have to give up my sin. Here's some money. You're so wonderful. That last church I had, they kept talking about the Bible and stuff. So uncomfortable. But here's some money. Go buy a jet. You know, it's, you need, I mean, it's all about this whole concept. It's like, sometimes you read this, and this is thousands of years ago, and you say, this is like today, isn't it? I mean, we haven't changed much. Like, well, all those people in the desert, they're like, no, they're like us. We can understand this. Corrupt government and political leaders. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and the rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. The prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, is it not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Again, you say to yourself, well, he's just going after the government officials. Let's bring it really modern this time. The government officials, who puts them there? Who puts these dishonest people there? Or at this time, why are people doing this? Because the people want it. Why do I, hey, if I've got money and I want to get out something, I want a public official that'll take a bribe. Okay, I don't want them to be honest. And he's calling him and saying, you've done this, you've hurt people, and you've just detested what I've called you to do, which is to be fair and honest in everything that you do. How about unethical business practices? Micah 6, 10 through 11. Can I forget any longer the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked and the scant measures that is accursed? Shall I acquit the man with wicked scales with a bag of deceitful weights? Now this one's easy. None of us have to feel bad about this. Because maybe not all of us here own a business. Whew, we dodged a bullet there. Because only people who own businesses can have a problem with this. I was called in into question this, I remember distinctly, when I was in college. When I, and this is not intended to be a legalism, because I want you to take it to heart and not just take it because I said it. When you go to work and you write down your time card that you worked eight hours, did you really work eight hours? Or were you just sitting there trying to avoid work at all costs? Okay, that was me. <laughs> Honestly, there were times that I went to work and I was like punched in, punched out, but I gave, the, you know. And he's, what he's saying is, you're deceitful in your business practices. Whether you own a business and don't pay your employees like they should be paid, or whether you're an employee who don't give your employers what they deserve. God is calling you into account. When people should look for Christians because when they say they're going to give them eight hours of work, they're going to give them eight hours of work. People should want to work for Christians because they pay the best that they can and they treat their employees well and they don't rip people off. They don't ask them, you need to, you know, you need to change your muffler oil or something like that if they own a car business or they're not making up things like that. There's all kinds of, we could all talk about stories or People have tried to rip us off with things we didn't need. But as a Christian, we're called to a higher standard. If you're a worker, this, he says, you have done these things and I am calling you into account. I have been patient with you. Now, here's what's interesting. Look at verse 6. What are they to do about this? Because what's interesting about God is he has judged the northern kingdom. He doesn't want to judge the southern kingdom. And here's their response. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? If you study this in ancient Near Eastern world, they're bargaining with God. They start out with a little bit. How about we just bow ourselves before you? Would that be enough for you to stop being mad at us? Or how about we come before you with a burnt offering? Maybe a calf a year old. Oh, maybe that won't work. How about thousands of rams? How about we kick it up a notch? How about tens of thousands of rivers of oil? And how about this? How about if I kill my firstborn kid for you? This is their way of pleasing God. Because you know what it's saying right here? repentance in their eyes, and I think in a lot of our eyes, is getting God to not be mad at us, but it's not about us changing. We don't want to change. If we can, hey, I've been bad this week, God. If I go to church and listen to pastor's podcast from last week, does that get me off this? You know, how about four podcasts? How about if I go to work day for six hours? That ought to to do it right there. Because, I mean, I'm going to rake for six hours and God's going to love me. And God's saying, this is not what I want. Especially for the point, they get to the stage of saying, I want to kill my firstborn child for God. And you can see how far they've gotten off for what it means to repent. God does not want these actions. In fact, we saw in, in Amos, we saw in other books, they were going to church every week. They were doing the religious rituals. Malachi is one of the most biggest ones on this. Where in Malachi... They're doing all kinds of stuff, and God says, "I am sick of it. I, I, I can't stand the smell of your of your um, sacrifices. Just get it. I don't want to hear your prayers, your songs. I'm just sick of them because your hearts are rotten." God is not a vending machine where you just give enough money. Or people. Some people have said, "I know people that give out of guilt." Man, I've I've really been dishonest this week. But if I drop ten grand in the offering for the new capital campaign. God will love me then, won't he? Well, God is, wants you to give, yes, but God doesn't, that's not what gets him on your side. They're treating, I heard this said by a, an author, they're treating the covenant as a contract. In other words, let's renegotiate God. Let's see if there's some way we can make this work for you. God, we haven't been so good, but maybe you could give us a little leeway here. Here's what God says in verse 8. What does God really want from our hearts? He has told you, O oh man, what is good and what does, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. God wants us to do sacrifice. He wants us to do what He's called us to do. But He wants us to do right to others. He wants us to walk with God with a heart of compassion. He wants us to be the people of God and walk in the will of God and have our heart turned towards Him. I'm still fascinated by this. King David, the man after God's own heart, okay, God loved him for his heart. King David had an affair and killed the husband of the woman. Not good, okay? But his heart was contrite and he asked for forgiveness and God forgave him. He's not saying what David did was right. He is saying that David's heart towards God. And God is looking for the heart to go towards him. Because you know what? When our heart is turned towards God and we are walking humbly with God, which means we let God be the boss and not us, we get off the chair. You ever seen the people say God is my co-pilot? You know that the old bumper sticker, you don't see that very much, but that's really a bad sticker. Get out of the put God in the pilot seat. You you don't be the co- you don't have him as the co-pilot. Let him run your your plane, okay? And when we do this, That is what God desires of us. That's the heart that he has for us. And that's going to change us because when our heart changes, our actions go with it. It's not just the actions. We're not trying to please God. We're not trying to chalk up enough points. God's not up in heaven going, you know, like a grade book. Ooh, nice there. I saw everybody in church today. Ten points. He is saying, where's their heart? Are they getting something out of church? Are they changing to the people of God that I want them to be? And then he goes forward. Just so you understand, the change did happen, at least for a short period. In Jeremiah 26, 18-19, Jeremiah says this, Micah of Moresheth prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah, and said to the people of Judah, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Zion shall be plowed as a field, Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of a house of wooded height. Did Hezekiah king of Judah and all Judah put him to death? Did, not, did he not fear the Lord and treat the favor of the Lord? And did not the Lord relent of the disaster that he pronounced against him? But we are about to bring great disaster upon ourselves. So here's Jeremiah saying, remember how bad it was in Micah? but people changed. And I want you to know this about today. God gives these, idea, uh, these concepts of judgment but he does not want anybody to have to have judgment upon them. God is not up in heaven going, oh, can't wait to get that guy. I can't wait to send that person to hell. I can't wait till they get what's coming to them. He's up in heaven rejoicing when the worst sinner turns their heart towards him and asks for forgiveness so he can forgive them. And here's the example right here. Jeremiah is using the example saying, it was bad in the time of Micah, but and God relented when Hezekiah, who is this, you know, changed his heart. And you should change your heart too. So it's possible to change. It's possible to have this. Micah goes even further. And most of us have heard this about Micah. The future hope is guaranteed for those who choose God. Micah 5.2, probably one of the famous, verse, most famous verses of the Bible. It's talked about uh, during Christmas time. But you, O Bethlehem, we were too little to be among the clans of judah from you shall come forth for me the one who is to be ruler in israel whose coming forth is from old from ancient days what he has given is a promise to the people here you know what i haven't given up on you yet i may bring judgment to you i may bring um destruction to you and the people of judah are finally going to turn away and they are going to be carried into captivity but i have a plan And that plan is going to come from a little town of Bethlehem when a king is going to be born there. And this king is going to be from the littlest of the clans of Judah. And the word for little here is not of quantity, it's of quality. This is the worst clan. Seriously, if you look this word up, it's like, I picked the worst clan I could find. Okay, just these guys are bad. I'm going to bring my king out of there. So a little town of Bethlehem. From you shall come forth with me one who is to be ruler in Israel. Who is coming forth is from the old and ancient days. He is saying, "I'm going to go back to the roots, and I'm going to give you a leader. I'm going to give you the one who's going to redeem everyone. I'm going to give you that person. The hope and the promise is there. Whether it's the fact that that the people repented under Hezekiah, or the fact that people repented now in the future under Micah five two, God's not." done with you. God's not done with the people of Israel. He's not done with us. He talks about, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but in Micah chapter 7, he talks about the future kingdom of heaven. He talks about the future and saying, I am not done. I will bring this all together. You have hope. So, as bad as Micah can sound, if you read through Micah, it's about destruction. It's about um, all of this discipline that's coming. God ultimately wants everyone to repent and he wants us to repent through our heart and he wants us to simply look at him and say god i'm not god you're god i don't don't i'm not the one who decides what is right and wrong you do i may not like it but i know that you're the one who does this and also to understand that god wants you to have the best possible life when you m- go back to the covenant God says, I want to bring you into this great land. I want to give you the best life you can possibly have. I want to have it flowing with milk and honey. I want to give you a great increase. I want to bless you. I want to give you all the things that you need in this life and understand the fact that when we repent and turn towards God, He wants to do great things for us. He wants us to have the best life we can possibly have as we turn towards Him. Why don't you stand with me right now? for our prayer ministers who come forward. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ, you need to understand the fact that we are all sinners before God. There's not one person that has ever lived that has never sinned. We have all bought the lie. We've all bought the lie that we can do it better than God. We have all followed after the false idols. We have all followed after the wrong things. And the difference between being a Christian and not a Christian is if you're not a Christian, you're taking all of that upon yourself. You were never intended to take all that on yourself. You were never intended to carry the weight, the guilt, all the pain of that, all the shame of that. The, the prophecy that's here in Micah 5-2 happened at Christmas time, the first Christmas. And the fact that Jesus was sent to this earth to now restore what was broken, all the damage that was done. And in your life, he wants to do that today. He wants to forgive you of your sins. He wants to restore you, forgive you, and, and take the weight of the world off your shoulders and all of the sin. And all you have to do is say, God, I have sinned. And you are God and I am not. I want to accept your forgiveness. Come and talk to one of our prayer ministers. But for everybody else, as I've been going through these minor prophets, They all call us to the same thing. Are you going to go God's way and repent? Or are you going to go your own way? Because we may say, well, I've become a Christian. I'm okay. But you know what? We need to say, we're going to go God's way. We're going to walk humbly with Him. We're going to treat others right. We're going to treat others the way God has called us to do. And let's do this and follow after Him. And become the people of God He has called us to be. And not have to suffer through um, judgment, or even suffer through the the, the consequences of our sin, but that we may live the life that God has called us to be, and we can be the ones that see the increase of his kingdom through our hearts. Lord, we thank you today. We thank you for your great mercy and compassion. We thank you also, God, that you warn us when we go off the path. You warn us and say, get back to where you're supposed to be. Because, God, you are a God that is full of compassion. You are a God that cares for us. You're a God that wants to do great and mighty things in our hearts. And, God, let us walk humbly with you today. Let us put you in control of our lives as we walk from this building. Let us repent of our sins, God, and be the people you have called us to be, God, because you want to do great and mighty things in our lives, and you want to bring us... To greater heights than we've ever been before. We ask this now in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you're here and you'd like someone to pray with you, come and talk to one of our prayer ministers. Otherwise, you are dismissed.